1: assume that our sorrow is going to be replaced by joy that it's replaced by joy no the promise is that the very thing that caused sorrow is going to be the cause of your joy why what is he saying the very thing that sent Jesus to the cross and sent Jesus to the tomb that raised him from the dead now is our source of joy because through the cross we have victory we have victory over sin through the cross And in the resurrection, we have eternal life, victory over death.
0: The Lord promises joy. However, as Pastor Dave points out, this doesn't mean your sorrow disappears. As confusing as it sounds, the Lord can take your sorrow and turn it into a source of joy. You'll see in today's message how the cross which held the body of our Savior can provide joy for His children. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 16 as he continues his message, From Sorrow to Great Joy. You are sure.
1: Jesus said the answer to your troubled heart is faith. But he knew that their hearts were so troubled that they weren't even listening to what he had to say. And he continued to promise to the disciples "Hey guys, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to lead you into all truth. He will be with you forever. He will be with you and strengthen you and give you words to say as you witness for me. Yes, you're going to suffer. The world's going to hate you. But the Holy Spirit will bring you into that point. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. The Holy Spirit was going to come alongside you. But their hearts were broken. The disciples' hearts were broken. They were in horrible, sorrowful sadness. All they could think about was they were losing their Messiah. They were losing their Savior. They were losing their teacher. And they were losing their best friend. They were losing the one who cared more about them than they've ever had anyone care about them in their life. This is what sorrow does to us, folks. Sorrow brings tears that clouds our eyes from seeing the truth. Sorrows brings tears that helps us to not see who's in control. Sorrow keeps our heart from accepting the truth because we're dwelling upon the sorrowful event. We're dwelling upon that which was happened and we can't see the other side. We think we see a light at the end of the tunnel, but we look closely and it has the word Santa Fe written on it. We we don't know where we are. Jesus told his disciples many things that night as they made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, he was leaving, but he tried to encourage them with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He tried to get them focused on what God was going to do for them. Not what the world was happening, but what God was going to do. Sorrow filled their faces, and sorrow told the story, and Jesus saw that. As Jesus looked into their eyes, all he saw was sorrow. All he saw was travail. All he saw was anguish. Maybe if you're in that situation today, when Jesus looks in your eyes, that's what he sees. He sees sorrow. He sees travail. He sees anguish because what you've been put through and what you might be now going through. So Jesus wants to comfort his disciples. So he begins in verse 16 and 18, once again, trying to comfort them. He says, a little while you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me, because I go to the Father. And then some of the disciples and some of themselves, what is this he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me, and a little while again you will see me? And because I go to the Father? And they said, therefore, what is this he says, a little while? We do not know what he is saying. And it's interesting here. Jesus uses this term, a little while, seven times. Seven times, which is God's perfect number. He was trying to tell them something to get the point across to them what was going to happen. It was going to going to be for a little while. What is he referring to? Well, many believe that he's referring to the nights he would stay in the tomb. A little while, you won't see me. The nights that he's going to spend in the tomb. See, little did the disciple knows what the disciple know what was going to happen in a very short time. In a very few hours, before sundown was over of the day they were now in, Jesus would be beyond their reach and he would be put into a dark tomb and a stone would be rolled over it. They were completely unaware of the momentous activities that was about to take place in a mere matter of hours. They would see him mocked. They would hear the crowd yelling, crucify him. They would see him hang on a cross as they watched from afar. They would see a soldier stick a spear into his side. Maybe they were close enough to watch from the shadows as his body was wrapped and placed in the tomb and the stone was rolled over it. Oh, what great sorrow would come over them. Their Savior had died. Jesus was gone and he wasn't coming back. Where was he? Jesus says, A little while and you will see me. And then he says, and then a little while, a little while you won't see me, and then he says, A little while you will see me. And now he's speaking about the resurrection. Little did they know that three days later he would raise from the dead. And they would see him again. He desired to tell them about these things, but they couldn't understand. Why couldn't they understand? Because their hearts were too full of sorrow. Their hearts were too full of grief to grasp what Jesus was saying. How could our Messiah be put to death? This doesn't fit my preconceived notion. But notice the main concern of the disciples. The main concern of the disciples wasn't really that Jesus was going away, their main was, concern was, how long are you going to be gone? Yeah, you're going away. And he said, a little while, how long? Well, you want to know how long it's going to be. Jesus said, a little while, you'll see me no more. And his disciples immediately picked on the phrase, a little while, and their hearts clutched with fear. They said to himself, what does he mean? Their attention is on, well, on that as well as his words, I'm going to the Father. Why does this have to happen? What does this mean? He's going to the Father. And here again, he's, Relating the relationship to his, uh, the relationship with the Father, the resurrection, and then his eventual ascension into heaven. You see, their focus of their concern is on the when and the why. Their focus is not on the who. The focus is on themselves and how everything is going to affect them. I don't know about you, but I've been there. And had I been there that day, I would have asked the same thing. I would have asked the same question. Why? Because I'm always concerned about how long the trial is going to last. How long do I have to go through this, Lord? How long you are going to be silent? How long do I have to go through this? I mean, I want it over now. I live in a me, me, now, now society. I I can go to McDonald's and get a hamburger like that. Certainly, Lord, you can take care of my problem like that. That's how we feel. How long? These are the questions we ask. Why and how long? Instead of Jesus explaining to them, or in them asking Jesus the question, they begin to discuss themselves. Are they embarrassed to ask him? It sounds like some kind of mystery. What do you mean a little while you'll be gone, a little while we'll see you? It sounds like double talk. It sounds like a paradox. You know, it's amazing how when you don't have all the facts, you can be so Confused. You realize when you don't have all the facts of things that are going along, you're very, very confused, and you often make the mistake of, of a judgment on incomplete evidence. I am amazed at how many people have opinions and make judgments on issues when they only have partial facts. They don't have all the information, but they make a judgment. Jesus could perceive their confusion, so he tenderly seeks to clarify them. He tenderly seeks to show them the events that will soon transpire. Jesus answers the troubles, disciples. He ignores the whole matter of time. Let's read 19 and 20. Now, Jesus said to them that they, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about a little while and you will see me again and a little while you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. I love the patience that Jesus has with his disciples. I really do. He didn't look at them and go, you knuckleheads, what's wrong with you? How come you don't understand this? And no, that's not Jesus. He didn't say that. I would say that, but Jesus didn't say that. He patiently and tenderly explains their emotional trauma that they are about to experience. You're going to go through an emotional time. His answer stresses the process and that the result is going to follow. Yes, this is going to happen to you. This is going to happen to you. The why and the how long, I'm not worried about that. But this is going to happen to you. There's going to be a period of sorrow. It's inevitable. It will happen. I can't spare you from that, guys. That's going to happen. That's an emotion. But your sorrow will be turned to joy. Your sorrow will be turned to joy. How long it takes is not significant. The inevitable result is the most important thing. The sorrow will turn to joy. What an important lesson. Every time I come into a trial, I want to know how long, how long. The Lord's emphasis is strictly upon what is coming at the end. The joy that I will see, the joy that I will feel at the end time. There will be a time when they will weep and lament, and you will be in sorrow, and the world will be rejoicing around you, it says. Not much different today, is it? The world is opposed to Jesus Christ and everything the church stands for. The world rejoices when the church suffers. One of these churches get bombed. The people get killed. You don't see all kinds of things all over the newspapers and the the media. They ignore it most of the time. Jesus said the world will rejoice at his leaving. What a contrast there is between the Christian and the man of the world. What we weep over, the world rejoices over. We weep and really cry hard that in the last 57 years, millions upon millions of young babies have been killed in what the world calls abortion. But the world rejoices over their ability to choose. When we're in the midst of the suffering, the one thing we always long for is the Lord's return. Many people who are suffering will cry out, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly, take me out of here. Matthew nine fifteen says, while the bridegroom was away, the bride mourns and is sorrowful. Jesus tells his disciples, yeah, guys, you're going to be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When they see the crucifixion and the entombment, they will surely be sorrowful. They will weep and they will wail. But on that third day, when they see their risen Lord, their sorrow will be turned into joy. The very thing that they will be sorrow for will be the one thing that they are rejoicing in. And I love this promise. I really do. I love this promise. How many things in life do we sorrow over at the time we're going through them and we don't see the final result? If we could see beyond today as God does, all our tears will be wiped away. Our sorrows would end. We wouldn't have a time of sorrow. But because our understanding is incomplete, it brings on sorrow. The disciples did not understand the resurrection. But the more we believe, the less we sorrow. Unbelief leads to sorrow. I do not believe that God is going to work all things together for good. I don't see it. I don't believe it. It's difficult for me. And that leads to sorrow. My brothers and sisters... Be patient. For a time is going to come when Christ is going to call us. And we are going to go and meet him in the air. We are going to be with Christ. We will either meet him in the air, or some of us will go through that valley of the shadow of death. But when we see him face to face, what joy will fill our hearts. We sang about it today in How Great There Are. What joy will fill my heart when Christ shall come. Oh my, but see, I think Christ can come to you in the midst of a horrible circumstance and what joy will fill your heart even in the midst of the horrible circumstance. What joy will fill your heart when Christ comes to you and ministers to you just like he did to Jeremiah in the time of your woe, in the time of your sorrow, when he comes and wraps his arms around you and says, take courage, my sweet child. Take courage, my love. The end is near. I'm coming for you. I'm here. I believe then our sorrow turns to joy, our mourning turns to dancing. The Lord wants to illustrate his point, so he, he, he brings forth an illustration that he hopes that, that they can understand and uses this beautiful figure of childbirth in 21. He says, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow, but because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy of the human being has been born into this world. The joy of a human being. When a baby is dedicated, we, we dedicate babies here, and they're, they're fun to hold, and I love to hold them. I love to smell them. They're so much fun to be around. The face of the mother is just nothing but pure joy. Nothing but poor, pure joy. But in the midst of that labor, don't get around them because they can be dangerous people. Don't get around them because they can be very dangerous during that time. But man, when that baby's being dedicated, they're all joy and Happy. The same baby that brought them such distress, such pain, such anguish during those times of labor are now such a source of joy, such a joy of wonder in their hearts. And this is what Jesus is saying. This is what's going to happen. This is going to happen to them. It's so different than what we usually think. Moses assumed that our sorrow is going to be replaced by joy, that it's replaced by joy. No, the promise is that the very thing that caused sorrow is going to be the cause of your joy. Why? What is he saying? The very thing that sent Jesus to the cross and sent Jesus to the tomb that raised him from the dead now is our source of joy. Because through the cross we have victory. We have victory over sin through the cross. And in the resurrection, we have eternal life, victory over death. So the things that we were sorrowful for now has brought us complete and utter joy. This is one of the revelations, one of the greatest principles, and it's a mark of authentic Christianity, one of the ways in which we see the Lord at work in our life. He takes the very thing that causes us heartache and turns it into joy. I love it. He says, therefore, because of everything I just said, guys, Now, you have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. What encouraging words. What encouraging words. I hope you're hearing that today. What encouraging words. Your spirit is going to go through a great time of travail, guys, but... All the sorrows will be forgotten when you see the risen Lord. You're going to have a horrible time of anguish. You're going to have a horrible time of trail. But when you see the Lord, your heart is going to rejoice. Living in a Christian life in an evil world can be a painful experience. Can be a horrible experience. But guys, those first five seconds in heaven are more than going to make up for any sorrow that you might feel. Those first five seconds are going to more than make up than anything you've ever experienced on this earth. One glimpse of Jesus' face. What sorrow? What are you talking about sorrow? You will be so happy. You will be so elated to see him. But you're only going to look at him for a minute because then you're going to dive to your You'll be down. The thing I like about walking with the Lord through this, this time is even though the path is often veiled before me, and I might be passing through some deep valley of sorrow. I might be going some fiery affliction. The past might seem dark. It, it might seem gloomy. It might seem clouded. And then there might be dangers on every side. But I know at the end, I know at the end of this travail, at the end of this trial, at the end of this horrible time, Jesus is going to be standing there with his arms wide open. He's going to be standing there looking at you. Standing there. You know, Paul knew this. Paul knew this. Of anybody who knew it, Paul knew this. Of all the times that Paul was, things that happened to the apostle Paul, he knew this. He knew this. And he says in chapter 8, in verse 18, listen to what he says. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us when we see the Lord. As a Christian, we're going to experience suffering. Suffering. Count on it. Put it on your refrigerator. Count on it. Because in reality, we've become alien to this world in which we live. This world is dominated by the flesh. It's dominated by men who are dominated by the flesh. We are a minority. We are in the minority, folks, and we're getting slimmer and slimmer, it seems. The majority of people in the world are living after the flesh. We are aliens because we live entirely a different lifestyle as we live after the spirit. It's different. They cannot understand it. And, and, and when a person cannot understand you, they always want to threaten you. We always want to put down or get rid of that which we don't understand. Jesus said, Rejoice when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Amen. Amen. So Jesus says, in the hour of suffering or persecution, in the hour of sorrow, in the hour of sadness, he points to the glory that awaits us. Get our eyes fixed off those circumstances. Get our eyes fixed off those things and look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who the joy set before him endured the cross, despising all shame. Yes, he suffered. But as he suffered, he was looking forward to the glory of being with the Father once again. He was looking for that glory on the cross, and he was able to redeem us, mankind. So in the suffering, we should not be looking at the suffering, but we should be looking at that glorious kingdom which is going to come when the Lord comes and claims us for his own. For the present sufferings are not worthy to compare to what's going to be revealed to us. The Apostle Paul, again, writing to the Corinthians, he tells them the whole, whole scheme of all the things that happened to him shipwrecked, and the stonings, and the imprisonments, and the beatings, and the la, 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 And then he says this. He looks at all of these things. He looks at all these horrible things that has happened to him, that has come upon him. And in 2 Corinthians 4:17, 17, he says, but this light affliction. What? He says, but this light affliction, which is just for a moment, works an exceeding eternal weight of glory. It's just a light affliction, and it's, and it's just for a moment. I love that. I was beaten five times with rods, stone six times thrown out of the city. They thought I was dead. Blah, 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 blah. But it was just a light affliction. It was just a mere flesh wound. It was just light affliction. It was nothing to me. But I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to. That's going to reveal. So my friends, my beloved brothers and sisters, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart that pain that you feel right now, that pain that keeps welling up in your heart, that's causing you such sorrow, that that heaviness, it's light and momentary. It's light and momentary. Remember, joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Take heart, my friends, because all the sufferings and all the sorrow Have an expiration date Every one of them Has an expiration date You know we see on cans Don't sell by Don't use by Blah 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 Well our sorrows Have a date like that No suffering after this date No suffering after this time No matter how dark The days have been The Bible teaches that all grief will eventually come to the end and it will be replaced by an eternal peace and joy. If you don't believe me, please, as we end this study today in chapter 21 of Revelation. In verse 4, we read this. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Yes, we sorrow. Yes, we do. Sorrow is part of life. Part of life. But get your eyes off. The sorrow. Get your eyes off the hardness and heaviness of your heart and look for the joy that's coming. Look for that joy that's coming in the morning. Amen. You are a sure hope.
0: The book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start. So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. Keep looking to Scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the Messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel, Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A sure Hope.